possibly the biggest crash in history is coming. Now, they say sometimes you need the perfect storm for opportunity. But the downside of that is the perfect shitstorm. And can you think of a three-year period? I don't know how far you've researched in history, but can you think of a, any other three-year period while you were alive where we had so many disruptive and difficult events simultaneously raining down on us like a hail shitstorm? Now, someone on one of my Facebook Lives called me the doom monger of Europe, and I didn't know whether to be offended or pleased, because I believe that you should be prepared for a 10-year depression. And that sounds depressing, but it's actually not. It's liberating if you prepare for the worst, because then it's probably not going to be as bad as you think, but you were ready if it was. But then you have strategies and tactics to not just survive, but thrive. So some people have been misunderstanding my warnings. The next thing to think about in this possible impending recession, correction or depression and shitstorm of doom and the possible biggest crash in history. And I say this at the end of all my lives. I don't know if you follow me on Facebook as well, but I do my daily lives on Facebook and I do my rants and they get millions of views. And I have also been saying that there will be equal upside opportunity. But you have to, to have optimism and opportunity, first you have to have reality. And there's a lot of people that are not living in reality. They think that they can ride it out, save it out, hide it out, or sit it out. You'll be tapping out <laughs> if you think you can ride it out, hide it out, save it out, sit it out. You can't. You can only earn it out, invest it out. You can only thrive through this if you have inflation beating assets, if you have multiple streams of income, if you have hard money, not soft money. And I'm going to talk about the solutions at the end, but I want to talk to you about the shitstorm of things that have happened. And then let's look at how we can leverage it into an opportunity. But remember, you must be realistic first before you can be optimistic. You must prepare for the downside before you can leverage the upside opportunity. So can you remember a three-year run where in the UK you had Brexit, then you had pa pandemic, lockdown, the stifling of the production in the economy, the billions spent through furlough, track and trace apps, PPE loans, the Ukraine war, the billions spent on defence and the war itself, sanctions and the responses to the sanctions, the government's now in trillions of debt, billions of interest, money debasing and going down hard in value, double, double digit inflation, the soaring cost of food, living fuel, travel, gas, the gas, energy caps going through the roof, hundreds of 300, 400, 500 percent increase in costs, political division, the widening of the wealth gap, the trust in the governments and the banks at an all time low. I've just listed there a few things that I don't think in I don't think any of us can argue with those. I think that it's pretty clear that they've happened. And I'll explain each one in a little bit of detail, but not too much. And then we'll get straight to the solutions and the opportunities. So Brexit essentially, when England and Britain left the EU, 
Whether it was right or wrong, well, that would take time to prove itself. But it created major division in our country. It created age division, race division, and it dramatically increased the cost and reduced the supply of labor. That's a reality. Then we had the pandemic. Now, you have history that has repeated cycles, by the way. So if you were 400 years old, you'd be like, yeah, this is normal. Yeah, inflation going up to double, double digits in these kind of times is normal. Yeah, you get natural disasters every 100 years. That's normal. But here's the thing. We have had so much prosperity and we've had it so easy for so long, like decades. Because I sometimes, if I'm having a shit day or I'm feeling a bit, or um, getting my knickers in a twist, as we say in England, I'll, Im I'll imagine what it was like to be born in 1900. And then two world wars before the age of 40, if you were born in 1900. We don't know we're freaking born alive. You know, we have been born in the best time in history and we've had relative prosperity for decades. But if you were 400 years old, you'd go, yeah, World War II, World War I, this Great Depression, this great outbreak, this, you know, pandemic, which killed uh, 50 million people and blah, blah. And you'd see the rises and falls of empires. Yeah, the Dutch Empire, Empire rise and fall, the British Empire rise and fall, the American Empire rise and then the Chinese Empire rise and fall. This, this is just normal. It's normal. But you don't know it's normal because you're not 400 years old. So on a general cycle level, it's normal. Generally, property prices go up double every 12 to 15 years. That's kind of normal. You know, you have an employer's market and an employee's market. And it goes round and that's kind of normal. You have low inflation and high inflation. You have low interest and high interest. And they, they, they go round in cycles. So this is actually normal. But then we've got, the, like I said, this shitstorm of multiple things that have happened. So in the UK, it wasn't kicked off with Brexit, but I'm just talking about the last three years. So you've got Brexit, which created political, age and race divide. And it caused a huge increase in labor cost and a reduction in labor supply. Then we had the pandemic. Now, the pandemic, you can't help. It's a force of nature. But the lockdown, you could. And I didn't say it immediately. But pretty soon after they locked us down, I believe that the lockdown was the wrong decision. I thought it was pretty clear mm, relatively soon that this wasn't a killer virus that was going to wipe out 100 million people. Now, if it was, I can completely understand why the government would want to have shut the country down to, to see. But um, Rishi, who was chancellor at the time, basically admitted it was wrong. And I don't think the seriousness of the consequences of a lockdown were strongly enough considered. And definitely lockdown two and lockdown soft three. I mean, what are they thinking? What are they thinking? Who's controlling them? So this lockdown has created massive mental health issues. What has it done to children? Goodness only knows and their development. And then, of course, you've got the fact that you couldn't create or produce anything for months. And you've got this massive backlog of supply now, which, by the way, has upsides because I believe every upside has a downside in every stressing hides a blessing. And I'm going to get to those. So then we had the stifling economy because of the lockdown. Then we had the, the, the billions, then the tens of billions, then the hundreds of billions that had to be spent to take us through the lockdowns, to fund the vaccines. 
the track and trace app, which was tens of billions and mostly didn't work. We had the furlough. I don't even know what that cost, but I'm going to say tens of billions because it's probably hundreds of billions. You know, we had the PPE loans. They had to write off billions on the PPE loans. We had the, um, sorry, the, the PPE equipment. They bought a load of it and they had to write a load of it all off. Uh, then, of course, there was the bounce back loans and all of that. And there was a lot of people. There was a lot of people who should have got the bounce back loan that didn't. And there was a lot of people that deserved the bounce back loan and didn't get it. It was a, a paradox. They were lending the money to the wrong people, not in its entirety. And I'm, by the way, I'm not saying this was even easy. Like the government had pretty much damned if you do, damned if you don't, poison chalice. But, in, you know, we should at least look back at this and learn from it. And, you know, I have been back. I am one who has been um, somewhat critical of some of the things that the government have done. But I also understand that it was difficult. But we must learn going back, otherwise we weren't, won't learn going forward. Then we had the Ukraine war. Now, because America has the reserve currency and America is really the global superpower, um, Britain, uh, we will do what America does. Oh, OK, we'll sanction them. And, and I'll tell you what's a bit of a hypocrisy is that we, ha we, brought all, we allowed all the billionaires and the oligarchs from Russia to come into London and pump the money full, buy Chelsea Football Club, buy real estate, pump billions into London, we love you. And they didn't question where the money came from. And then all of a sudden, when the, the war started, oh, wait a minute, this is all blood money, and they, all these sanctions happened. As if you're gonna put sanctions against billionaire oligarchs and Putin and Russia as if that's not going to have consequences. And now he's playing chess with energy and he's got bloody energy blackmail. And that's because we didn't create our own energy from however long ago. And anyway, and then that's what they tell you. Who knows what's really going on behind all that? But you got that going on. And then, of course, you've got to increase your defence budget. And that's billions as well. And then trillions in debt. So the UK government is currently 2.2 trillion in debt. That's not bad. It's not bad. By the way, if a company was that much in debt, you'd, the um, shareholders would be in prison. If an entrepreneur or a business ran insolvently, that's illegal and they would be put in prison. But the government are allowed to do it. They're allowed to run insolvently. They're allowed to run billions in debt. Sorry, trillions in debt. And they're allowed to have billions in interest, always be in deficit. And instead of paying it back, all they do is print more money. And when they print more money, it sort of backdoor pays their debt off. Now, by the way, there's, in, there's big upsides with inflation. So it's not all downside because nothing is all downside. But there's three ways for the government to pay its money back. Number one is to pay it back. They ain't doing that. Number two is to go bust. Well, that would look pretty bad in the leader that ran their company bust. You know, default on their loans and not pay them. That's going to look pretty bad. And then number three is to just print shitloads of money and artificially pump essentially ethereal, non-real money into the system. And this is what they're doing. Uh, and in some ways, you might think it's nefarious, but what else can they do? You know, the people running this country weren't running the country four years ago. So it's not like there's any long-term plan. So the system, the political system, in its root cause is wrong. It's outdated. Like in the UK at the moment, now, by the way, we're, as you're listening, a couple of these things might go out of date. I'll try and keep it relatively evergreen. But there was a good period when there was no prime minister. And Boris was just off traveling and setting up his post-political career. And we didn't even have a fucking prime minister when energy caps were going through the roof. 
when people were faced with the reality that in nine months, their energy bills will be six grand a year, when inflation's going double, double digit, the country is going to shit. Oh, uh, by the way, um, we'll all go, we'll go, the PM will go on holiday. We won't actually have a prime minister. And oh, and we'll have 200 and odd people in parliament vote on the next leader of the country. We're supposed to be in a democracy, yet a few hundred people have voted on our next prime minister. I mean, there's so many things wrong with the system. It's untrue. Yes, this does have upside, this story. <laughs> I know this can seem scary and doom mongery, but like I said, realism first and then turn it into optimism with upside solution and strategy and opportunity. But you have to know what's really going on in the world. Now, by the way, it's not all doom. If you're an entrepreneur, you can get your taxes down very low. If you have assets and good debt against assets, then inflation being really high is paying off your debt while the government are paying off their debt. But you just have to learn to adapt and evolve. Okay, now we've got big quantitative easing and we've got uh, double digit inflation, which is predicted to go to double, double digit, 20% plus. You know, if the energy caps go keep going like they are, um, then I think Bloomberg and then that Goldman Sachs through Bloomberg predicted 22.4% inflation. I mean, that's almost hyperinflation. This is going to be an, you know, the Western countries are going to be like Africa. Hey, here's my trillion dollar note. Can I have a pizza? Do you know, pizza in America is $70 in some parts of America. A full shopping trolley is $900. This shit is here and now unreal. And the government ain't got any money. So what's the solution when the governments haven't got any money? The solution is increased in tax. Now, I've spoken to some UK politicians, you know, very famous UK politicians. And I've said, what is it with the government that they only know one way to make money? And that is to increase in tax. Do the government not realise that if they increased incentives to start businesses, incentives to produce, incentives to employ, Incentives to innovate, incentives to disrupt, incentives to improve products and services and build our way out of this. Do they not realise that that's the best way? To, in, in my opinion, I might be wrong. And if I'm wrong, you can email fuckoff at robmore.com. <laughs> no, but seriously, I, I, I'm not saying I'm right about everything. This is my opinion. But surely the best way to fire up an economy is not to tax the fuck out of the people who fire up the economy, which is what they're doing. Instead, why wouldn't they incentivize us to, why wouldn't they give us some subsidies, some reliefs? You know, if we innovate and employ and build and produce, why would we not get tax breaks? Why wouldn't we not be incentivized to do that? So essentially, the government could use us to increase the revenue, but instead they're using us to take seven pints of the eight pints of blood that we have. This is the shit that is going on in the world. Then you've got the soaring cost of living. Food is going crazy. Energy, fuel, everything else is going crazy. And the government have got no control over it. And part of that is not necessarily their fault, but that shit is happening. The energy crisis, the cap's going up and up and up and up. Now, look, I'm just going to say it. And I'm going to go hard on this on my Facebook lives and I might get a slap or two. I like relative free market capitalism, generally speaking. And I generally don't like socialism turned communism as a general rule. The problem right now is we don't have capitalism. We think we do, but we don't. We have veiled socialism. We have incentivized socialism. 
So for example, why is it that Shell and BP can earn record profits? I, let me see if I can find the, I got the amount that Shell made. I mean, it was savage. Yeah, oh, here you go. BP made 6.4 billion in profit, but paid 127 million in tax. Now, remember, I'm generally a fan of capitalism and production and economy and enterprise. Generally, if a firm makes a profit, I, I, I celebrate that. I think it's great. I don't think they should be overly taxed or overly intervened. But how can an energy company be allowed to make 6.4 bill profit and pay 127 million tax when one third of the population won't be able to afford their energy next year? How is that? That's unfair. And you can't blame BP or Shell. Why is there no windfall tax? So this shit is going on. We are the most divided we've ever been. Well, since I can remember, by the way, I haven't been alive 400 years, but politically we're so divided, aren't we? It's the left and the right and the left hate the right and it's just so polarized. And there's anger, it's palpable. There's the, quite a big widening gap of the rich versus the working class and the poor. And by the way, this stuff is normal and it does happen through cycles and through history. So some, some of you want me, I know, because you tell me thousands of times on the lives, to give you the positive part, the opportunity, the upside. So every downside has an upside. So if inflation has a downside of eroding your cash, the upside is it erodes your debt. So look, I'm, don't go out and get bad debt. Don't get debt on depreciating liabilities. But do get debt, debt on appreciating assets. So... As a specific example, when inflation was lower than it is now, but in recent times, essentially the UK government paid off 3.3 million pounds, nearly $4 million of my mortgages on my properties. So um, I've been told by my business partner, my wife and my accountant not to share exact numbers. So I'll keep it specific, but I have an eight, a high eight figure property portfolio with a seven figure income and a high uh, a decent eight-figure mortgage balance on it. And because of inflation, that went down relatively by nearly $4 million. Now, if inflation gets to double-double digits in the next year, then the government are going to pay 20% off that. They're going to pay nearly $8 million off my loans. And by the way, high inflation, which pushes prices up, therefore pushes prices of assets up. So I have been a bit pissed off of how much inflation is and how much it's wiping out our cash, but I just made a decision not to hold too much cash and to put it into inflation beating assets. So rule number one in high inflation times is you want minimal cash and maximal investments. And if you have good debt on those investments, as long as it's good debt, then the high inflation will pay that debt off for you. So there's a massive upside to that downside. The next thing is savings is going to make you broke, not rich. You know, you were taught by your mum, your dad in school, save, work, earn, hoard, nest egg, pension. Well, pensions are worth less and less and less. And you get taxed on a bit of it, a decent amount of it. And you can't get it for 30 years. And then when you die, it's all gone. Whereas if you build your own real estate portfolio or you build your own hard asset money portfolio like gold or you build your own brand, you build your own business, for example, you become an entrepreneur then you're decentralized a bit more. Because here's the problem at the moment. 
if with all your money in the bank, not only is that cash going down a lot, but you're centralized. I.e., if like they did in Japan, China, they say, sorry, your cash is now government asset. Bye. In 2008, in Northern Rock in England, sorry, um, we're shutting the doors. There's too many people want their money back. You can't have it. We haven't got it. So if you're less reliant on the system and you're more reliant on yourself as an entrepreneur, as an investor, you turn cash that's trash and depreciating and get wiped out by inflation into inflation beating assets that now that you own or more own. Look, if you've got a mortgage on a property, the bank can call the mortgage in. I get that. But if you've got equity, at least you've got money in it. And at least you own the property. Well, property rights are still good and fair because <laughs> they're not in all countries. If you've got gold, if you've got watches, watches have gone wild in price. Secondhand cars have gone wild in price. Classic cars have gone wild in price. Gold and all of these hard assets. Here's the thing. When you have high inflation and soft money is going down, you want hard money. You want hard assets. You want gold. You want watches. You want businesses. The next thing is, so we've covered depreciating cash, trash, into inflation-beating assets, good debt being paid off by inflation, having hard assets and money, not soft assets and money. And the next thing is the decentralization element. So if you have physical gold, you have it, no one else has it. And if you store it where no one knows where it is, then the government can't get it and no one can get it and inflation can't get it and nothing can get it. In fact, when inflation is high, usually gold also is high, usually. And if there's a revolution, a massive currency deflation, debasement, deblation, a mix of deflation and debasement or hyperinflation, your gold's going to go through the roof because it's going to be the only thing that's worth anything. So watches and gold are a good store, physical, hard, and then decentralized. So your personal brand is decentralized to a certain degree. Like I have my podcast disruptors. I have my TikTok channels, my Instagram, my Facebook, my YouTube. I'm on Getter now, Rumble. And Twitter, of course, and all the other channels. Now, one of those channels could shut me down. Two of them, three of them could shut me down. But it's probably unlikely that all 10 of them are going to shut me down at any one time. So if you have online businesses and online influence and reach, content into cash flow, information into income, etc., and you're diversified, then you're protected. Because there's a good point here that um, there have been times where they've recalled all the gold. Yeah, because they didn't have any money. But if you only had gold, you're fucked. But if you had an internet business, an e-com business, personal brand, a podcast that had sponsors and advertisers, YouTube that had good money, some kind of information business and real estate and gold and watches and classic cars, you know, you, over time you built up multiple streams of income, multiple streams of information, multiple um, channels on social media, then you are completely protected. But the government aren't going to do this for you and they don't fucking teach you this in school. Because they don't know it. Oh, and by the way, this is so new for so many people that they're just going to have to learn this really quick. Otherwise, they're going to be the ones to get wiped out. It's survive or thrive and it's nothing in between. In fact, it's die for many, financially, of course. So this is why I built the Rob.team platform. So Rob.team is essentially your own um, entrepreneur's business school online which costs you less than a large coffee. You can cancel any time with no contract. It costs you one third of the Netflix subscription. So, it's, you know, virtually nothing. You've got hundreds of hours of content going back years. And I built Rob.team to give you all the education in school that you didn't get in school, that you didn't get from your parents, that you should have got. 
And now moving forward because of this cost of living crisis and everything that I've mentioned in this possible biggest crash in history, it's going to be where you are going to get information on beating the banks, beating the government, beating taxation, beating soft money, leveraging good debt, building assets, building multiple income streams, becoming an entrepreneur, getting your tax down, getting your income up. These are all the things on a weekly basis that you've got either recorded content or live masterclasses or Sunday sessions. I do Sunday sessions every Sunday live with me. This is all on Rob.team. So if you'd like to join, I'd recommend you join and I'd recommend you do it now. Just open up a web page. Do it now. Stop what you're doing. And type in rob.team. And you've got hundreds of hours of content going back three years plus with masterclasses every week to help you start a business, scale a business, get better financial education and knowledge, make, manage and master money from the author of the UK's best-selling book on money called Money. By the way, I've made nine figures in revenue in my career as an entrepreneur. Um, so unfortunately, the school teachers who teach you business economics and finance are broke. So the system's backward, broken. But one of the reasons Rob.team is only the cost of a large coffee and you can cancel any time is because I want to do my bit to help people through this cost of living crisis. And also, I'm going for a volume strategy. So instead of charging you 50 or 100 or more a month, like it would many of my Rob.team members say I should be, by the way, um, should be charging that much. But I figure, well, I'll just get four times as many people and pass the saving on to you. And then who knows, we might work together in the future. So it's a way of me building trust with you. You can cancel any time, no contract cost you. A loaded large cost of coffee will cost you more. You know, the bit of syrup and cream, all the little bits and bobs, it'll cost you more than Rob.team. Getting quick before inflation makes it worth more. <laughs> so just type in R-O-B.T-E-A-M. There's no risk if you want to try it and check it out, you can go in and you can cancel and consume all the content if you want. So I'll see you there. Go join rob.team. And if you don't risk anything, you risk everything.